Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is the command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash glossy beauty, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash glossy beauty to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash glossy beauty. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. If you're familiar with skincare brand Dew, you probably first came across its cult eye masks that all the cool kids have been wearing on Instagram. Now with multiple products, the brand's celebrity fans include everyone from Hailey Bieber to Harrison Ford. For this episode, I talked to Charlotte Palomino, who co-founded the brand in 2020 with Joyce DeLemos and Marta Friedman. You may also know Charlotte from her prolific social media presence. She has a fan base of over 668,000 combined followers on TikTok and Instagram. In this conversation, we talked about her social presence and how it blew up on TikTok when she started sharing her strong viewpoints on everything from SPF to clean beauty. We also talked about how that transfers over into running what she calls a TMI skincare brand that gives granular details on ingredients and clinical trials. We also talked about his godlike branding and the customer base it calls its angels. Here's the interview. Charlotte, thanks for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So Charlotte, we're talking today about your skincare brand, but you're also known for your big TikTok presence in terms of skincare. And before that, you were actually a writer. So did you want to tell us about how you got started in that and Go back to the beginning of your career. Absolutely. So I first started working in Montreal after I graduated in publishing. So I worked a little bit at an ad agency, quickly moved over to digital publishing, kind of at the uh, early beginnings of blogging. And this eventually led me to find my way back to New York. When I say back to New York, I'd never lived in New York. I found my way to New York. And Really what I've always kind of found as a, a theme within my career was starting things up from scratch or kind of being on kind of the cutting edge of something before it really picked up. So when it comes to digital publishing, blogging and Instagram had an obviously huge impact. But when I started working at Cosmo, it was really interesting to work at publishers and try to convince publishers to even get on Instagram and to invest money into it and to say, hey, these publishing platforms are different, but they are going to end up eating your bread when it comes to magazines and print and all these things. So it was a really fascinating time to be in publishing. And I think because there was so much going on, I was actually able to shift from the advertising side over to editorial. So I launched Cosmo Snapchat Discover. Um, I ran that for a year as their editorial director. And then I eventually worked at uh, Snapchat working on publisher and discover channels. And so I worked all over the world kind of launching publishers, doing all those things. And so um, when I was working in tech, though, I was spending a lot of time in California, saw what was happening with cannabis, and just wanted to kind of dispel myths around ingredients and trends. And it just kind of led me to finding both Marta, one of my co-founders, in addition to Joyce Delemos, another co-founder. So cannabinoids actually is what brought us together, even though it's certainly not a focus of our brand. We wanted to do clinical studies on it. 
And it really kind of led us down this path in the beauty space where we saw a huge gap in terms of really being more clear on our marketing, um, not using traditional levers to sell our products, and to hopefully have people leave feeling a little bit more educated on what works, what doesn't work, um, rather than kind of using marketing terminology that isn't necessarily educating consumers. Yeah. And before skincare, you actually launched the brand Nice Paper. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah. So that was a cannabis newsletter. Um, when I say cannabis, it was also psychedelics. Talked a lot about psilocybin, um, LSD, and a lot of the MG, MGMA, like the clinical studies behind different ingredients that we've been taught were really terrible for us and had no medicinal properties. When now the FDA is fast-tracking psilocybin, which is uh, mushrooms, to um, be a revolutionary drug for depression, right? And it's largely thanks to the work of clinical researchers and uh, people who suffer from PTSD, largely veterans. And I don't, I think if it wasn't for that marriage, um, these would still be very stigmatized. Cannabis is still incredibly stigmatized um, within the United States, even though it very clearly has medicinal properties, far more than certain painkillers that were handed out very easily within the country, right? So I think that thinking about that, Right. If it had been cannabis versus oxy, I think we'd be in a very, very different state right now in terms of what's happening in our healthcare system um, and what's happening with addiction, particularly with opioids in the United States. Um, so we really talked about that. We talked about um, a lot of the issues, particularly in New York. It was very apparent. You saw, you know, legal the legal cannabis industry being built while people were still being incarcerated, serving really, really long sentences due to mandatory minimum sentencing. Um, purely for possession of cannabis, right? So it was just, it was a really um, eye-opening experience, really diving deep into a singular topic to really uncover where there is a lot of um, hypocrisy within our policy, who has access to what. It typically has something to do with um, the amount of money that you have and the color of your skin in the United States. And it just really was uh, kind of a launching point for us to kind of say, we should not be trendifying any ingredient and certainly not one like cannabis or psilocybin or any of these ingredients that may have um, really strong therapeutic powers. So when did you first launch your TikTok account? And was that always about skincare? How did you make the transition into talking more about skincare? 2020, there was obviously like 30 focaccia recipes. Um, but I actually launched uh, my TikTok channel simply because um, when I was working at Cosmo, I did a lot of the video animation. I had to kind of learn it overnight because I was not given a big enough budget to hire enough designers. So I was actually um, animating and designing quite a bit of it. But After Effects, it's an Adobe program. It's quite cumbersome. If you're just using it for a 10 to 60 second video, it's more for like feature film animation, um, like DreamWorks, uh, which is not, you know, what I'm doing. And so when I first downloaded TikTok, I was like, oh, wow, this is like uh, After Effects Lite, right? I can edit videos. I can cut clips. I can add text really easily, quick animation. It's quite straightforward. And it's also fun, right? Um, and TikTok's entire algorithm changed, you know, the social model of me following my friends to serving me algorithmically a soup of content that I find quite addictive. So it was just a really fascinating platform to be on. But I mainly was editing videos to then post onto Instagram, which is why my Instagram account grew rather quickly as well. So it was actually more just I wanted a platform that would make it easier for me to edit videos. And then the videos started to just go viral. 
Did you have a big break moment with one viral video or were many of them going viral? What, how did you first see the growth on TikTok? I think what really was sobering was that I made a video that while I would say is accurate, it was definitely alarmist and I could have framed it in a more nuanced way. And it actually kind of set the path for me making things more nuanced, which actually led to less virality. I think that what people forget is that when something blows up on TikTok, it's not because it's accurate. It's not because it's right. It's not because it's well-researched. It's because it's eliciting an emotion, whether it be outrage or relatability or people being like, oh my God, I'm covering this conspiracy theory. And so I just realized there's a huge responsibility for creators to make content that's balanced and nuanced, um, which I started to do after that video went out. It was about hyaluronic acid and how some people can have allergic reactions to it. And it's not a miracle ingredient for everyone, but it was very alarmist. And so it really changed how I actually produced videos. So a lot less of my videos went viral as a result, but I've cultivated a very uh, loyal community. And what I'm very proud of are people who um, question a lot of videos that go viral rather than just sharing it. So tell me about the story of the launch of Dieu. Am I pronouncing it right, first of all? It's the French word for gods, uh, Dieu, but we say do because it's easier in English and there are much better puns. Okay, got it. So tell me about the founding story of that. When when did you first meet Marta, first of all? So I met Marta years ago when she was running an Instagram um, that basically was hanging out with women doing cool things um, and just talking over pizza. And it was a wonderful Instagram account, Hot Girls Eating Pizza. And um, so that was a long time ago. Um, I think I was writing for Cosmo at the time and um, had almost started uh, Snapchat Discover for Cosmo and was still doing partnership work. It was a very interesting time. And so we met then and we eventually found our way to meet Joyce Delemos, who is our um, chief of product, who used to do patents at SkinCeuticals. Um, she worked at La Roche-Posay. She um, did some Sun Division stuff. So really had some excellent, excellent formulating experience um, on her end. And so the way that we launched was we were trying to do a clinical study on cannabinoids, but doing a clinical study is really challenging during a global pandemic. And we are still in a global pandemic, but I think that in the beginning of 2020, nobody knew how it was being spread. We knew it was super contagious. We knew it was deadly. Like, But there were so many unknowns that we just kept having to push it out because it wasn't really safe to, to do studies. Um, like, we didn't even have a vaccine yet. So we decided to launch with the Forever Eye Mask, which ended up being a great product to launch with because I think it just kind of set um, our values kind of like, you know, as a stake in the sand where we were like, you know, we don't think that instead of just creating something that's recyclable or biodegradable and continues to be single use, what if you actually change the behavior and you do not have single use products anymore? Um, is it really going to have that much of an effect where you want to have single use products, which you know, for me, I would say, eh. um, especially because what what creates, you know, what makes an eye mask work, um, you know, or like a patch work under your eye is really the serum that you're pairing it with and the frequency in which you use it. And so we recently developed an eye gel to pair with the Forever Eye Mask, but there are so many great moisturizers and eye creams and different things that you can pair with it. Um, and so it really just kind of set the tone for our philosophy as a brand. 
And I'm like, also, they look cute in pictures, which we were all taking a lot of selfies and we're on a lot of Zooms in 2020. (laughs) Totally. And what year did you start planning the brand? Was this before TikTok? Oh, yeah. We started, so I actually started to get my esthetician's license in 2020, at the beginning of 2020. Um, But the brand had been in conversation since 2018, and then we didn't launch until September of 2020. Got it. And then what about fundraising? Were you doing any fundraising at that time? Yeah, we did a friends and family round. um, So that was pretty quick. Um, When I say pretty quick, it took a year and a half to to get what we needed. But that all kind of went into the clinical studies and a lot of testing. Um, You know, myself, Marta and Joyce didn't start taking a salary until uh, one year into the business. And your first product was the eye masks. Tell us the story of that, because that just, like you said, blew up on social media. We saw everyone wearing them. Hailey Bieber, it's tons of influencers. What was the story of that? How did that blow up so much? I mean, you know, I think everybody's seen kind of the full face version of the silicone face masks. Um, They're a little bit uncomfortable to wear. Um, And also I have a higher nose bridge. And so they always tented on my face. And so also I just wanted something that would be just really targeted to the eyes because that's where I think a lot of people want to get more hydration. It's really thin skin. It's quite sensitive. And so we just wanted to make something that would feel good, that would look good, and that you only had to buy once. Um, I think also, you know, we were all really bored at home, um, if we were lucky enough to be bored at home, because a lot of people were really struggling in 2020. And so if we could create like a little moment of, you know, happiness or just like feeling like you did something other than your general routine, um, we definitely wanted to, to give that to people. And how did they end up on the social media feeds? Were you just sending them out to celebrities? How did that work? I think it's a blend of the two. Some of them were actually people just buying it from us. And I think it's because they just saw somebody else post it. But Marta um, has, you know, a branding agency or maybe not a branding agency, like I guess like a creative influencer agency. And so um, it kind of dovetailed perfectly um, based off of her core competency to get it in some of the right hands. But honestly, I've had some people reach out to me that have large followings that actually bought it just based off of the posts that I was doing. So who's in charge of the creative and the branding? So in terms of creative and branding, um, we worked with somebody at the very beginning um, to kind of create our brand look, uh, logo, all of those things. Um, And then Marta is our creative director, um, our head of creative. So all of the photo shoots that you see, all of the casting, um, the general vibe of the brand, that is Marta. And she's so brilliant at it Um, and always brings together really good groups of people. And then in terms of like marketing campaigns, social, video, strategy um, comes from myself, Marta, and then our art director, Sonia, who is a genius. We adore her. Yeah. Tell us about your creative concept. You like to call your community angels and have the kind of godlike branding. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah. So I think it's twofold. I think that, you know, a lot of brands in the cosmetic space when they're clinical, because we are a clinical brand, right? Clinically vetted, price transparent. We want to take some of the leaps of faith out of beauty. And we want to create spaces where you it's okay to ask questions. I think that, you know, um, brands selling themselves as a holy grail, 
right? This is the one product you need um, is a little bit tough to actually deliver on that promise because um, people's skin are very unique and very different. And so for us, we wanted to create a safe space that you felt okay asking questions and that you could challenge status quos and what norms are. And we're going to help answer those questions um, to the best of our ability. But in terms of calling our community angels and the congregation and things like that, that really comes from Marta where it's like, it's okay to be soft and that it's good to be, you know, vulnerable. I think that beauty and beauty standards are incredibly complicated, confusing, and there's a lot of shame associated with them. And so to come at that with any sort of aggression, we try to come at it very soft and just remind people that they're doing great because honestly, just you made it through the day, you're doing great. It's like our tagline because we really want to remind people that they are doing a good job. You're making it through the day. And you really like to emphasize clinical trials on your own content and with the brand. Did you want to talk more about that and your approach to clinical trials and what you do with the products? Yeah, so we're really lucky to have Joyce because she used to do patents and clinicals at some really top brands. And I think for us, it's claims vetting and just making sure that our claims make sense based off of not only the ingredients that we have, so including ingredients that they're clinically studied dosing, but then to do actual in vivo trials. Obviously, they're not going to be as in-depth as, say, a drug, right? Drugs go through, you know, people like thousands of people. And like, you know, we're doing studies between 50 to 80 people. It's just to make sure that we feel good about our claims, the cosmetic claims that we're making. Um, and that, you know, we can, we can figure out who these products are for based off of the formula and through our descriptions, hopefully find the right people for them. You know, it's like, we try to be very descriptive and not oversell the product because ultimately when you do that, you're going to get everybody buying your product when maybe, you know, like 60% of the people that are buying it are really the ones that you want to come back. And so I think in that strategy, um, we've had a really, really high repurchase rate, which is ultimately our goal. We want you to love the products enough where you actually come back. And are you building a lab space in New York right now or what's the status of that? Yeah, so we built out a lab space. Um, we're doing just kind of like the final finishing touches. But the way that we formulate our products is that we do everything in-house. So some brands have in-house formulators or a co-founder is a formulator, right? And for us, obviously, our co-founder, Joyce, is the formulator. So we do tech transfers. So we formulate everything, have their recipes, essentially. Um, they're called tech transfers. So you give all the instructions over to the lab. We own the formulas. And then the lab has to recreate it. So we'll do like 80 iterations of a formula sometimes, um, which you can't really get that granular sometimes with a contract manufacturer because the back and forth is just so long. So we're really, really lucky that we have Joyce and that I've learned so much about the formulation process, um, even though it is sometimes very, very frustrating because you want something to work, but it keeps crashing out. So <laughs> we're currently going through that now, but the lab space is done. It's functional, but we don't have all the like aesthetic elements, like all the lighting done. So that's kind of what we're wrapping up now. But the lab has been functional for a while, um, which we needed because Joyce needs to be able to give our contract manufacturers that make our final formulas. Um, she needs to be able to give them like good baseline ingredients. We'll be right back after this message. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. 
But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Shopify's POS can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash glossy beauty, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash glossy beauty to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash glossy beauty. And in terms of your audience, how granular do they want you to be in terms of the development process and the products and the clinical trials? How much information do they want? I feel like we're a a TMI brand. I don't think anybody is asking for the level of granularity that we put out there, but it does make for fascinating, um, you know, content because ultimately we want to just kind of lift the hood a little bit, just like that you can see what you're buying and what goes into it. Um, You know, and there are so many amazing brands out there that do clinical studies and, you know, have great formulators and it's not, you know, necessarily, you know, only us, but I will say that, you know, it is a rather it's a rather unique thing to have one of your founders be, um, you know, the person that's actually making the juice. Normally it's, you know, you've hired somebody or it's a contract manufacturer, which means that the formulator, um, everybody has access to them that works with said contract manufacturer. And so um, I would say that that's definitely something that's unique, but you know, it's it's fascinating to me where we get our packaging from. You know, so many brands will make claims about sustainability, but then they don't tell you where their packaging comes from. And so for me, I was like, okay, I want to make a claim about sustainability. Where does my packaging come from? And I was like, oh God, that packaging isn't sustainable. So we need to start rethinking about how we are sourcing certain packaging. And so I think for us, it's like the claims vetting piece of it is really important. And if we're going to be making a claim about a piece, and so um, we're just trying to show people how we got to that point. And so sometimes it seems like too much information, right? Like we did a whole video about how we got our Oracle packaging, which is our eye cream, which is fantastic. It's a beautiful eye gel that pairs with the Forever Eye Mask. Um, But that packaging was quite complicated to get um, and to shift from where we would typically get packaging, which is China, to Spain, which the carbon footprint of shipping just to the United States, just in terms of like global proximity is much closer. Um, It was really important to us, along with using aluminum as a material versus uh, plastic, which is much easier to work with. But, you know, they're also, it doesn't, it's not infinitely recyclable and it's very rarely recycled in the U.S. So um, that's kind of how we get to that too much information. It's just because we typically do our own goose hunts, our own goose chases. And then are your customers also really interested in the sustainability aspect or are they more intellectual types that are focused on the ingredients? What are you seeing? I would say that, and this would be across the board, I think that a lot of people will call out brands for the lack of sustainability, but it won't stop them from purchasing it, which, you know, I wish that weren't always the case. Um, I think that people ultimately are motivated by efficacy, price, and perceived safety, So those would, I would say, are the main ones. But ultimately, you know, 
myself, Marta, and Joyce, we created a company in part because we didn't want to repeat some of the things that we'd seen in past com- past experiences in the corporate space. And, you know, you can have a masthead that's like all about sustainability or you know, equity and inclusion. And then when you actually get down to brass tacks, it's not really there. And so for us, it's just about, we want to be able to feel good about the products that we're putting out there. And so that's mostly why we do it. I don't know if people actually buy based off of it because people seem to buy based off of the product efficacy, which also very important to sustainability is making sure that you actually like a product and finish it versus just try it and throw it out. doesn't matter how sustainably it's made if you don't use it, you know? What do you think the role is of TikTok in this moment of beauty transparency? Do you think it's really increased people's knowledge and awareness of ingredients and efficacy and greenwashing and all of these sorts of transparency issues? I think like with everything, there's good and bad. I mean, social media has ultimately elevated voices that we have not traditionally heard from in media, which was largely, you know, white voices. um, And, you know, past a certain point was largely white male voices, right? And so I would say that social media has really kind of opened up who we are hearing from. But because everybody has a platform and because of that democratization, you know, of course, there's a ton of misinformation that's out there and it performs exceedingly well on social media media and no platform. This is not specific to TikTok. This is to Instagram as well and to Facebook. And it's a problem just with content generally is that, you know, I don't think beauty is taken very seriously. So when there's misinformation in beauty, no one's really trying to correct it in the same way that maybe they would try to correct other misinformation. But I always say, what happens when you start microdosing tons of misinformation? You know, there is like this like um, theory that's starting to get more traction around the wellness to QAnon pipeline. And it's this idea that small you know, conspiracy theories lead to much bigger ones. And those can be quite dangerous depending on how they are. Some of them are totally innocuous. And, you know, everybody, you know, has like their like thing that they, you know, believe in. But it's, you know, we don't have a common agreement on uh, base level facts anymore. So it's, that's the thing that concerns me. But ultimately, you know, you have to thank social media for giving voices to people that are not traditionally heard and movements that are not traditionally heard that need to be. So I think it's more about where do we kind of go from here and what responsibility do brands have in addition to governments on regulating misinformation, particularly when it's propagated by larger brands or brands with monetary incentives. Yeah, it's interesting talking to the skinfluencer community, especially people who have been able to make science content take off because obviously, like you said, really sensationalist content that doesn't necessarily rely on science can definitely take off really quickly on social media. How do you get science to go viral? Because you've obviously had a lot of success with that on your own platform. I think, um, and there's a couple of ways that you can do it, right? I think that one way that I see that's the most common is that you stitch someone, right? And so there is a layer of negativity there because you're calling somebody out. And we, there's, um, is it negativity bias? There's a, there's a social theory that uh, humans remember negative content better than they remember positive content. And that's simply because it's, 
you know, it's evolutionary where it's like, if you see a bear that's bad, run. And so your brain is more like a sponge towards negative content. So I've seen a lot of science creators have videos go absolutely viral because they're correcting misinformation, but that gets quite tiring. And, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty overwhelming. So I, I appreciate the science communicators that do that in a, in a respectful way, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, And I think another one is just being really surprising. I think that, you know, having um, information that is dispelling things or debunking or you have to say it in an entertaining way is kind of like one way to get past it. But again, it's like you almost have to kind of fit into the medium, right? Like you almost have to be this, you have to match that energy in order to make sure that it gets out there. And while I do have some videos that have done well, um, I don't have a video of, you know, something, some misinformation that, you know, on some website that ranks like dirty ingredients that has 24 million views on TikTok. I don't have that. Um, do I have some videos on natural deodorant and how, you know, natural deodorant doesn't really mean anything? And do I have like 500,000 views on that? Sure. But it's like the scale. Unfortunately, the scale of misinformation is weighted more heavily than correct information. So all I can do is continue to put that information out there and ways for people to navigate misinformation. Yeah. And you've had very bold views on clean beauty. What prompted you to share thoughts on that? And has that content really taken off? Um, No, to be honest. I think that clean beauty is uh, really, I mean, I think in some ways it does take off, but I think that consumers are really smart. I think that consumers understand. I think that obviously some consumers are very scared of their beauty products, but I also think that a lot of consumers know that clean beauty is just marketing. Um, It doesn't mean you have more safety. I think that some consumers are like, you know what, like parabens, I know they're probably safe, but I'm just going to avoid them just in case, you know, that kind of thinking, it's like really hard to kind of, I'm not trying to like shift people from, you know, views that are balanced and understand where their own biases are coming from. Um, I think that where um, things are, you know, starting to be a little bit, you know, shiftier is kind of in the conversation on endocrine disruption and things are getting a little bit more extreme there. Um, and so I don't really know how to, how to battle that, but I would say that with clean beauty, you know, maybe two years ago, it, people were really talking about it a lot and poking a lot of holes in it. And a lot of people were starting to wake up to it. I think that now there are quite a few consumers who understand it's mostly marketing. And listen, I don't think clean beauty is all bad. I think that clean beauty has raised some great questions that we need to address in the beauty industry. But ultimately, I don't think that, you know, companies that stand to profit from something should be leading legislation. Um, I don't think that clean language is really great. Clean living as a concept has been around since the 1800s. You know, it's tied closely to fad diets and puritanism and religion. It's just not really like, it's not really my vibe to like demonize things and to say that something is categorically bad. Um, particularly when we know that the dose makes the poison. It's not necessarily just an ingredient. Um, You can't really look at it that way. So very, very long-winded way of saying that I think we're going to be moving, you know, um, we're still going to be caring about the tenets of clean beauty. Clean beauty would have never have existed if the FDA was perfect and if the beauty industry was perfect, right? 
And so we're just going to see an evolution of it. And I'm hoping that it evolves to more transparency, but that's still to be seen because selling to people based off of fear and shame and anxiety, right? Because it is a fear-based purchase. This product is giving you cancer. Buy this one that doesn't give you cancer. That's, that's the through line. You know, it's pretty profitable, but I do think that people are starting to see through it and they're like, wait a minute, what's the, what are the citations on that? What do you think of this de-influencing talk? Do you see yourself as one of the original de-influencers or part of that trend, or do you see your content as different? The only way to de-influence is to leave a social media platform. That is de-influencing. I do not consider myself a de-influencer. I also balk at the term influencer, even though probably that is what I, that's probably what I am. But I think that anybody who's de-influencing, you are creating content to get what? More followers. Why are you trying to get more followers? To influence them in your thinking. It's, maybe it's de-consumption. I think that actually might been, would have been the better term for it, but it's not de-influencing. De-influencing is actually divesting from social media and divesting from platforms that give you influence. So I didn't, I never really got on board with the term, but do I tell people to buy less? Yes, because I am guilty of buying way too much and not using all of it. And so I'm actually not allowed to online shop this year. I'm only allowed to shop in stores. That's my rule. And I've saved so much money. (laughs) That's the influence. No more online buying for clothing. Interesting. What is your approach to retail? Are you sold in physical stores right now or are you going to be entering any? We need to staff more. Um, Our team is, you know, seven people. Um, So hopefully by next year we'll be in store. Um, I mean, I still buy beauty products online. I was talking more for for fashion because I I have a clothing problem when it comes to buying things on the internet and not even buying it in the right size. <laughs> but I think that retail is, it can be a really special experience. Um, and especially if you, you know, get a sales rep that really understands the products, it can be really helpful when you're trying to navigate products. Um, sometimes, you know, people can oversell you, but I would argue that the internet's constantly overselling you on things and it's much easier to kind of blindly add things to cart rather than holding them physically in your hand. So we're really hoping to be in retail next year because that would be, um, I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely love that because, you know, then we'd be able to hire more reps that, you know, are able to educate people on, you know, skincare and what works and what doesn't. And I was able to check out your pop-up at Complex Con. Have you done more pop-ups or do you have more of those in the works? What's the role of pop-ups for engaging with your audience? So we did a pop-up with Violette in Paris, and in Paris was fantastic. It was at Bon Marché. It was really special to kind of just have like a collaboration eye mask there. So we're definitely going to be trying to do more pop-ups. We're working on something for holiday in New York City. Um, So yeah, definitely more experiences um, to get people familiar with the Do universe. And what's your biggest social media platform right now for the brand? I mean, is email a social media platform? (laughs) Email and text are huge. Um, They're really great ways to communicate with our audience and educate them. Um, But yeah, definitely the ones that you would be thinking of as well. Um, Instagram and TikTok. Um, Joyce and I actually just finished recording a podcast today. We're going to be doing a YouTube channel. It's not directly tied to do. It's more us trying to like navigate very complex conversations and just approach things with more nuance, right? So today's episode was actually on the history of clean living. Um, So it's not exactly like 
makeup related to do, um, or even necessarily the beauty industry, we largely focus on diet culture. Um, but yeah, we're trying out a bunch of different things. So would you say your email list is more important than TikTok or Instagram for marketing? Considering that, you know, government employees are deleting TikTok from their phones and there's talk about a purchase and all this. And, you know, even with Instagram, the algorithm can change on the drop of a dime. And it's like emails like more in text or more one to one communication. It's just more consistent. And we do have more people. We have, we have you know, hundreds of thousands of people on email and text. What are you seeing with text right now? How is that working? Oh, it's just great for conversion. It's not like a very in-depth conversation. That's more of a conversion one. But we love doing more editorial pieces for um, our newsletter and um, our blog. But our blog doesn't do as well. It's really the newsletter that we create it for. What are your thoughts on the potential TikTok ban? Are you making any contingency plans or what platforms will you focus on if it were banned? I think what we would really love to do is focus more on community and engaging people more one-to-one and using platforms that help us do that. Um, And also really like reward the people that have been kind of um, evangelists for the brand and that have been, you know, talking about the brand. So I think that's more what we would want to double down on versus worrying so much about just TikTok. Do you think Reels or YouTube Shorts would be a good replacement yeah, I mean, I think if TikTok were to end tomorrow, would we would we spend more time on Instagram or YouTube Shorts, like potentially? Um, but we we still invest a lot in those platforms. Um, do I think it's a replacement? No, it's just because of how the social graphs work. Um, you're served what you follow and what you subscribe to versus what is algorithmically determined. Or as we found out with TikTok, they do heat videos, so there is a there's a group of people that sometimes pick content and then really boost that. So it's not all algorithm. Um, But yeah, it's a very different way of serving content. So I don't know if there's really a replacement for TikTok in that way. And then obviously the eye masks were such a visual social media moment, but with your skincare products as well, we've been seeing news about them being used by celebrities. Harrison Ford is a fan. Did you want to talk about the strategy for bringing that kind of celebrity influencer model over from the more visual product to traditional skincare? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note that it's not just about, you know, celebrities uh, using or wearing our product, even though, you know, ultimately a celebrity has a platform and like a megaphone that's like really quite large. For us, we love to seed makeup artists. We love to kind of, you know, give products to people who are in the beauty industry um, and seeing where that leads. So that's kind of the strategy there. It wasn't to place it with specific people. It's that we make really great quality skincare products. And so we think it would work really well in kits. It would work well with estheticians. It would work well in dermatology offices, things like that. So what product was used on Harrison Ford? Um, I think all the products were, but I know that Instant Angel is kind of a hero product for makeup application. Yeah, Instant Angel doesn't pill. And so it's the number one piece of feedback that we get from makeup artists where they're like, this moisturizer is amazing. It's replacing, like, you know, in kits, like other iconic moisturizers they've been using forever. And they're like, it really does not pill at all. And it allows makeup to apply really well over it. And so um, that was pretty cool to hear. 
So I wanted to get your thoughts on the future. What products are in the pipeline? Is there anything you can tell us? How many are you developing right now? Yeah, so I think sunscreen is a really big focus for us. Um, we're waiting to see some regulations that look like they're going to be kind of shifting in the next year. Um, so we're really paying attention to that um, because the reality is I'm not a big fan of all of the filters that we have here. I, I really like chemical sunscreens because I have very dry skin. Um, zinc is a beautiful filter. It's just better if you have oily skin um, or if you just your skin doesn't get dried out from astringents. Um, so really excited about sunscreens, but TBD because we want to make a sunscreen so good that we would wear it every single day. And right now, most of my sunscreens are Korean um, and French, um, though I do love some brands here in the U.S., um, but what we are focusing on for this year, we are looking, one thing I can talk about is we are working on a gel uh, moisturizer, um, a version of Instant Angel that's more suitable for oily skin. Um, and not that you can't use Instant Angel on oily skin, but I would be careful if you have breakout prone skin, you know? It's like any rich product, it's just, you know, it just has the potential to trigger something. Whereas for me, I want to put like, I want to bathe in, you know, rich product. So that's one thing we're really excited about. And what I love about it is that I layer it underneath um, my product. So it almost acts like a hydrating serum. So it could kind of be like either if you have really dry skin, it's like a hydrating step. Or if you have um, very like oily skin or more breakout prone skin, then it would be kind of like your all-in-one moisturizing step. What are the top skincare topics that your audience is most interested in right now? Hydration is a huge one. Um, I think that you know, people wonder how to get like certain texture of the skin and like almost like a plumpness. And, you know, as you get older, um, your skin is just less apt to kind of hold on to that hydration. And so getting that moisture and then keeping it um, does, does a world of difference in terms of just kind of like not only the comfort of your skin, but also kind of like that, that appearance. So people are really interested in that. And then also people are really interested in how to make their skin more comfortable. But also I think we have to unlearn a lot of uh, beauty standards that aren't necessarily something that we should be uh, continuing, right? People ask us, where's your anti-aging products, right? And the reality is, is like, you're not going to anti-age. Like the anti, the only way to anti-age is to, to die. And so while I do recognize that our products do minimize the appearance of, of wrinkles, we like to say histologically what it does versus making you feel bad about something. And we would never do an anti-aging campaign. And so I think that a lot of the questions that we get are still around marketing terms that we wish just kind of would shift. Um and just be a little bit more positive. So that's like another thing that we still get a lot of questions on. Um, and people do ask us a lot about the packaging. <laughs> They're like aluminum tubes. That's very old school. And I'm like, yes. But now what's really interesting is that we launched with aluminum tubes. And everyone's like, oh, people find aluminum tubes so challenging. Nobody wants to use aluminum tubes. But we did a lot of videos to educate people on how to use aluminum tubes. And now, um, over a year later, we got a call from our factory saying we need to order our tubes almost nine months in advance now because it's become such a popular packaging source. And so I was like, interesting, very interesting. So I am a little bit happy about that, though, because aluminum tubes are much more easily recycled than plastic ones. <laughs> 
And what is in the works for international? You said you had a pop-up in Paris. Are you pursuing more international expansion? Absolutely. So we sell our eye masks on Cult Beauty and we're working on getting our entire product line there. And then we also just started offering international shipping on our site, but um, we're hoping for retail as well internationally. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time today. Where can people find you or you? Where should they follow you? TikTok, Instagram, what do you want to plug? I, I mean, I love TikTok. TikTok, I have morning chats with people just drinking my coffee and, you know, going on about something or other. So um, I'm Charlotte Parlay um, on all my personal social platforms, and it's at Skin for my beautiful brand. Amazing. Well, thank you. And we'll look forward to seeing what's next with the brand. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit that button.